Greg, Maya, and Betty are not experts, nor do they claim to be. They're just a bunch of nerds who enjoy talking about movies, shows, and current events. So sit back, grab a coffee, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of All Queued Up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Queued Up, the review podcast tied to streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus, etc., etc., etc. I'm your host, Greg Dietz, and with me always is Maya Don Fisher and Betty Badger. How are you two doing today? Doing good. Waiting on the snow to come in a couple of days. How about you, Maya? Uh, you know, we actually got snow a little bit last night. Um, really? it's just, just a skiff, you know, just enough to powder the sidewalks and the cars and everything. But yeah, we're probably going to get hammered this weekend. But uh, other than that, I'm got through the past week, thankfully. And, uh, you know, today's been a good day. Looking forward to what the rest of the day brings. It's uh, Wednesday the 6th as we're recording this and exciting things are happening. And yeah, just uh, all around good day so far. How about you, Greg? Um, I'm definitely doing better than Mitch McConnell at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> uh, that's fun. Um, uh, no, I, I'm I'm doing really good. I I uh, I've been watching a lot of the Apple TV stuff because I had like a free week of Apple TV, and I went and watched uh, Ted Lasso and um, Mythic Quest, both sitcom or comedy shows that are on there. Tried to watch Morning Show, couldn't really get into it. Um, and so the reason I'm mentioning it is because uh, uh, hopefully today, soon, definitely, but when this episode goes live, they'll be live on the YouTube channel, but I'll have reviews of both of those shows and uh, further shows down the road of whatever I'm interested in. So make sure you guys follow the YouTube channel because those will be there. Yeah, maybe I'll do Bridgerton. Oh, yeah, yeah. I also want you to do Utopia. I want to hear what your thoughts are on Utopia. So, uh, right now, I'm just upset that they're not bringing it back for a second season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... So upset. I invested so much mental energy into that show. <laughs> uh, today, guys, we're going to be talking about the newest episode of The Stand, episode three, and uh, representation in media um, for. A lot of facets in representation, so that'll be an interesting conversation. But um, yeah, why don't we head? Why don't we go ahead and just dive right into episode three of the stand? Let's do it. Um, so, as I'm watching this episode, before we get into like what happens in this episode, um, I was sitting there thinking like how accurate it was to the book, because as Betty has mentioned. It, it gets very sporadic about where it is in time, like what part of the story it's telling and when it takes place. It moves around very quickly. And it can get a little, like, disjointed, if you will. Yeah, because sometimes you'll see, like, present day, and then it'll show what these characters were doing four or five months ago. And it will say four or five months ago. And yeah. then other times it won't. And you're left going, where am I? <laughs> the, well, like when, when Stu first met um, 
Greg Kinnear's character. Who's he playing? Glenn? Is that, is yeah. that who it is? Or Ray? Yeah. Glenn. Yeah, okay. When, when he first meets Glenn, you think, okay, it's present day, but it was actually several months prior, and it doesn't tell you that ever. And see, I know this. That's in the story. Um, yeah. I, I love um, Glenn as a character and his dog as a yeah. character. <laughs> you know? And I, and, I lo- and I love Greg Kinnear, too, so I'm excited yeah. to that character. When I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, yay! You know, but um, I can't really remember. I, what I do remember from the book is it did not skip around this much. Um, we had the story of... Um, Glenn and you know if there was anything that happened in the past it kind of got its own um chapter its own chapters its own chapters you know if we were going back five months ago we were going back with everybody five months ago you know <laughs> we weren't just stopping in with Stu or stopping in with Nadine or stopping in with Nick or Tom, you know, everybody's story was getting told. And then we moved back on to where we are in present time. And that's why, um, I, that's why I was asking you the other day about that, because I'm, I'm watching it going, there's no way Stephen King wrote it like this. There's no way. No, uh, he did not. And this is very much um, not even like the, the miniseries that they did in the nineties. It was very much more of a straightforward thing because they, they only had two hours to tell a story. So, you know, for them, it was very, they had to put a lot of information into two hours. They could not afford a lot of flashbacks. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, to watch this and know that this is not exactly how the story goes, but going, okay, we're going to roll with this and see where it goes anyways. But I really wish they would stop going back and forth on the timeline so much. I have a question they, for you as, as a avid Stephen King reader. Um, from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the original 90s version of It was closer to the book than the new movies are. Oh, yeah. Um, and from what I understand, it's because it kept jumping back and forth in time, but it was, there was a clear delineation about when it was going to do it and why it was doing it. Yeah. Versus the new movies, like the first movie being all in the past and the second movie being mostly in the present, but kind of doing quick flashbacks just for context. Yeah, no, in the book, it was very much a past and future, you know, thing because they were intertwined. Uh, That is part of the character of it. As uh, this character exists kind of outside the bounds of, you know, time as we know it. And that gets brought into uh, one of the Hulu things that they did at Castle Rock, which I've watched a good portion of. And they did a lot of back and forth in that. But it's not an actual, you know, it's not an actual Stephen King story. It's just based on all of, you know, it's like an a world of his stories. I saw that all the the episode titles were titles of his books or something. Yeah. It all takes place in Castle Rock. So, you know, uh, it's, and he told a beautiful story with uh, Sissy Spacek of Alzheimer's going forward and backwards in time. I mean, and it was beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen when you see the whole picture put together. 
and you realize what you've been watching and it's just wow it's mind-blowing and i don't know if they're trying to pull that off again here and it's just not working or what you know i mean because again when king writes he will go back in time but it's such a clear delineation and you know we all know where we are when we're back there there's no confusion as to where where the fuck are we right now you know i mean so it's it's very i hope they stop soon i hope once we get all the characters uh stories told that maybe we can uh, get along it's it's funny it's funny you say that because like the way that this episode was told was so much more engaging for me than episode two um oh i agree with you i mean you know again you can I, i i expect a certain amount during this you know again the early stages of this we've got nine episodes we're on episode three but again, I wish they just let us know a little more. I mean, I, they do to an extent, but sometimes you're just still going, wait, what? So <laughs> what just happened? You know, because I don't feel like it's very coherent at the moment. I think you get that too with the different directors of different episodes. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> like I'm looking at the director and the, the director and the, uh, screenplay list and the guy that wrote episode two or the guy that the same team wrote episode two as episode one um but it was a different director and that guy that directed it, it that's his only episode in the entire series that he's directed and the guy that episode directed episode one also is directing the last episode um that should be interesting I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know if they're going to cut it off halfway through or if they're going to wrap it all up in nine episodes because the way they're going, I feel like they can't wrap all this up in nine episodes. It seems that way because it's very slow paced. It seems like, but we know it's only a nine episode thing and I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to feel that. Yeah. I love backstory but I'm starting to kind of get on the same page. It's like they really do need to start moving it along a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I feel like it's going at a pace. It's like, you know, at this pace, we could be halfway through the story before, you know, episode at the, by the point episode nine is here and you could just make it an 18 two season, you know, thing. I don't know. Like under the dome was only supposed to be one season. Yeah, and it ended up getting three. And it shouldn't have. No, it should not have. Season <laughs> one was awesome. It was brilliant. Season two was what the fuck? <laughs> and by when season I first, three, it's like I'm done. Yeah. When I, I was... first heard of Under the Dome, I didn't know that it was a Stephen King story. And I thought it was a ripoff of um another comic book I had read that had a similar plot, but <laughs> Yeah, I've read the Under the Dome book, and uh, so when I found out they were doing that, I was very excited. And then they just, they were like, yeah, let's do a second season. And Stephen King was like, yeah, let's see what I can do. And I was like, no. (laughs) 
It was so bad by season three. I was just like, nope, I'm done. Just like Maya. I was like, nope, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. This this has gone beyond the pale of ridiculousness. I am out. <laughs> yeah. My uh, my mom cracked me up during this episode, by the way. Um, so uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's deaf. Nick Andrews. Oh, yeah. Nick, okay. He uh, he had that dream with um, uh, Mother Abigail. And she says, uh, I'm in Hanford, Ham- whatever the place is, Hanford, Hanfordshire, Hanford, I, help me out here. I'm drawing a blank. Nope. Where, you're the worst. He, she says where she is, and she says it's spelled M-O-O-N. Uh-huh. And, and my mom goes, the fuck does that mean? That's not how you oh. spell that. What the hell? <laughs> and. And my dad was just kind of like, just can we wait? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't know either. She's like, okay, I thought that was just me. You guys don't know either. I was like, no, I don't know what that means. I'm like, it's going to tell us soon, I hope. And then he wakes up and, and Tom is there and Tom starts saying something and then spells like M-O-O-N completely out of context to what he's talking about because the way his mind works. And I went, uh, like that. The scene ends and my mom goes, I still don't understand why she spelt that as M M O N as moon. And I went, um, you remember the whole scene we just watched where Tom kept spelling moon? <laughs> and she was like, Oh, what? I don't get it still. I'm like, mom, do you, mm, are you watching the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, love, I love the actor they've got to play Tom Cullen too. Brad William Hinkie. Oh yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, good. He's good. It's really funny though, Greg, because this is like old meme to me. I mean, really, we we used to go around all the time. We were making fun of somebody that didn't get something that just whooshed. That's what we call it now is whooshed. Right. We'd be like, M-O-O-N, that spells something here or whatever, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> we were being assholes. <laughs> and Yeah, so that's like old meme in my head. And I'm like, oh, he just got to experience M-O-O-N. <laughs> yeah, that's whole, like, wholly new for me. It's funny. Uh, the, 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 what was funny about my mom, too, is that she goes, uh, I said that to her. Um, I go, uh, do you remember the scene? So, so you're talking about the scene with Mother Abigail, and she says that 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 she's at this location. You spell it M-O-O-N. And she goes, yeah. And I went, okay. So you notice how Tom kept doing that? And she goes, yeah, but I didn't think that was correlated. And I go, no, it's exactly correlated. It's 100% the same. Like it's, she was telling him that. She was telling Nick that, so that way he sticks with Tom. Yeah, it was it was a uh, a verbal indication of what was he he was about to encounter next. Yes, because he recognized once he said, you know, M O O N that spells something, you know, whatever he said, you know, it wasn't Moon, you know, but he spells everything Moon, you know, and then he was yeah. like, holy crap, wait a minute, you know, he was like, hey, hey, what? You know, and so yeah, it was very much a verbal indication of what he was about to encounter next. And yes, I don't, I don't hope they don't do this during the entire um, season with Tom. But yeah, pretty much every episode in, or like every time you would see the dude in the original miniseries, that's everything that came out of his mouth. <laughs> you know, that's why it was kind of mean for us at that point. It was like, yeah. Uh, Stupid. That's M O O N. That spells stupid. Now. <laughs> well, my I, I guess my other question for you is, um, and we'll we'll dive more into this in our 
topic next. Um, I, from what I understand, Stephen King has a really bad like habit of writing uh, people with mental disabilities poorly. He does. Bless his heart. Well, you also got to look at the time that the story was originally written and how mental disabilities were perceived then. Yeah. Sure. No, I get that. I, I mean, this was originally written and published in 1978, so probably mid-70s when he wrote it. Um, yeah, he worked on that from like 1970 to 77, uh, seven, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, you know people with severe learning disabilities like Tom has, I mean, what would you classify that as today? I well, um, he definitely has, um, he is differently abled. Definitely, uh, definitely. But neurodiverse. I mean, yeah. These are, but, these are the words I'm trying to think of what people in the PC Avenue would call this today. Um, you know, but I, of course, the only thing that was used to describe it back then and even until about, what, 10, 15 years ago? is a word that I don't want to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning it as, at, at all is because... Um, I feel like if you're doing an adaptation of a book that has, you know, like if you did a version of Tom Sawyer today, you might not call uh, Tom by a specific word. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not Tom. Uh, Jim. Jim, thank you. Yeah, you might not yeah. call Jim by a specific word. And I think that could go with this too. And so I'm kind of waiting to see if that maybe changes a little bit because it feels oh he's already changed it just by his, yeah. the introduction of tom it's it's all been changed and updated it's like i said okay. i appreciate this character much more than i appreciated the original tom but again i there was a you know almost like 17 year difference between when it came out and when i read it so you know I mean, to be fair there are things in in more contemporary modern books that have things that in the adaptation I'm extremely happy they took out like um, Ready Player One for example. The book talks about a haptic suit that the main character gets with all his money from finding the first Easter egg um, that literally jacks him off. That it is a suit that he can have full sexual encounters in and, and come in. Um, you don't have to. Yeah, I remember that. and You, you don't have to show that. And, and Nope, not at all. <laughs> we don't need to know that. That's just um, that's something you do what? personally, you know. Yeah, that was omitted for the movie. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, we didn't need to see that. We didn't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or like, or you know, I can even go with it, for example. And everyone knows what the fuck I'm talking about with the book, it versus the adaptations. <laughs> oh, so. the 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 scene where all the kids decide to have sex together. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that because that's just creepy. I know that King, even today, he's like, if I wrote that today, I would not have had that scene. I would have done something completely different to make them feel like adults or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Well, he, was, he was an immature writer himself at that point. You know? Right, right, right. He, he's grown. And as he's, you know, again, I appreciate King because he's always trying to explore new stories. Mm -hmm. You Absolutely. know, and that's what I love about him is he's he's always willing to explore new stories. He's not stuck. 
Yeah, it's like I I love Dean Koontz as a teenager, but I realized very quickly that Dean Koontz is kind of stuck in his ways. He writes one kind of book and one kind of book only. You know, and it's fine to enjoy those. Oh, I do, but I, I kind of grew out of it because I needed more complex characters. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't getting that from Koontz, but I was definitely getting it from King, and I was definitely getting it from Rice. So, yeah, those were two of my teenage influences right there. It was like, whoa. The terrible joke, but I was going to say, I think another writer that's stuck in his ways is R.L. Stein. <laughs> he is, man. <laughs> so love it, though. <laughs> oh shit but yeah that's, that's what i was asking about like tom's character because i know that he has a history of writing that kind of character poorly in the past i, I don't know about now because i honestly i don't read Stephen king but uh um, have you ever seen dream catcher yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that was king love that, that movie and um, the book was beautiful just as beautiful as the movie he really did a good job with that book. Okay. I mean, okay. He, he's come a long, he, he's definitely uh, come a long way. And I love Dreamcatcher. And when it came out as a movie, I was so happy. And they did such a good job with it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, they did. Jeff um, loved I, it. Oh, yeah. No, that movie's fantastic. I still, I still uh, make hell, it. I still call Madison a shit weasel. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I make reference to it whenever my dad can't remember a, a, a word or can't remember a specific thing and he's racking his brain trying to find it, I go, your, uh, your person inside your head that has a library of things to look for is um, as slow as you are walking. Yeah. Because it just takes him a long time to find that one thing. <laughs> yep. That's so. me when I'm going through my uh, mind castle. I got a lot of shit, man. Give me some time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they fucking called it. Mine palace, mine castle. You know, I've got a giant attic where I shove all the shit I don't want to think about. So, <laughs> all right. Well, do we want to give a grade to this episode, or just uh, just wait until the end of the season to give it a grade? Well, you know, um, I I think this episode was definitely better than the last one. I do want to, you know, we we're getting to know Nadine a little bit more. Uh, I noticed one of the things that Jeff said was, well, I hope Nadine's a better person in this one, which kind of threw me for a loop because uh, my, you've seen the first one. I've, I've read and seen the first one. I never felt like Nadine was actually a bad person. No, uh, I think she was a manipulated person. Yes. I felt like she was very highly manipulated. And I think by, portraying her in the light that they did in this one, when she was a young child, was very interesting and spot on, you know, bless her little heart. You know, Satan's marked you as his bride at seven years old. I mean, so, I mean, I was like, really, you, you felt like she was a bad person. I mean, so it's not just me. I, I'm not the only person here who realized that Nadine was not a bad person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how do you feel like, about her, Greg? I mean, knowing her so far, do you feel like she's a bad person as no. a story? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think I made the comment that uh, it was after the scene where the the guy gets like possessed for like a minute and then dies. Um, I I jokingly had said out loud to my parents, I was like, "Oh, it's the devil!" And <laughs> my dad goes, "No, it's flag." And I was like, "That's that's, that's the, the devil. devil. It's the devil." Um, and uh, 
And so when it showed that scene of her um, doing the Ouija board, which wasn't really a Ouija or whatever, I kept making jokes because it looked like she was, uh, how do I put this nicely? Having an orgasm. Oh, and, and uh, it's an automated drawing planchette. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But like, yeah, while she was using it, she's making a lot of moaning sounds. And I kept telling my mom, I was like, man, that chair is moist. And she's like, could you stop? Could you <laughs> stop that? <laughs> but um, uh, when that scene was going on and it was showing her in the past, all I kept seeing was that as she was being manipulated. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the actress is taking that to the next level and making her a little bit more... Uh, I don't want to say evil, but definitely in that kind of vein, like more like she's on flag side versus just being manipulated by flag. You do know who the actress is, don't you? That's Amber Heard. Yeah. Okay. So it's her I neighbor's ex-wife. <laughs> you know, in your mansion where you live, where Johnny Depp is your neighbor. <laughs> and Betty's mind, Greg, because he lives in California, is lives next to Johnny Depp. <laughs> That's why I have such a fucking pool. low rating. God, <laughs> I was trying to figure out why on Metacritic and on IMDb it had such a low rating, and it's it's all because Amber Heard. It's all because Amber Heard is a star in it. That's and she was cast in this role before all these allegations uh, came out. Yeah, so I really don't I, care. I, I think review bombing is fucking stupid to begin with, but. Yeah, I don't like her as a person, but I'm not going to hate the whole thing simply because she's in it. That's her fucking job. She's an actress, you know? Yeah. Like, exactly. I did. I <laughs> I don't like Tim Allen. Didn't stop me from watching Toy Story 4, though yeah. it's not a good movie, but that's besides the point. There are lots of things out there that I don't like. And, you know, it, 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 for the most part, for a lot of things, you have to come to the determination of, you know, love the art, hate the artist. I hate, you know. There are lots of things out there. I love the art, but I hate the fucking artist, man. And you know, J.K. Rowling comes to mind. Oh yeah, you oh know, my god, I fucking love way. Harry Potter. That bitch can just go herself. A, I, I saw a great joke on Twitter the other day that was uh, because of the the, the COVID nineteen having a uh, mutated version in the UK. Somebody goes, "You have to stop calling it the UK virus. It has a name, J.K. Rowling." Ha! Oh, that's a good one. I was like, that's fucking excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm gonna stick with it, obviously, because we're reviewing it. But also because it's just, I'm, I'm interested to see where it's going. And I will admit, right now, it doesn't feel as complex as I think it's meant to. I think right now, for me, it feels like it's very good versus evil period and that the good and the evil are definitely trying to build their forces well that's oh, exactly yeah. essentially that's, that's, um, that's, 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 yeah it is a very basic good versus evil story with a lot of characters in the cast okay then i'm getting i'm getting the yeah. exact feel that, that they're intending because that's what i was sitting there watching and i was like i was like am i supposed to is this supposed to be more complex i assumed it was supposed to be more complex but i guess it's not and that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. I was just, well, I had the like, perception of something else. I was telling Jeff after we watched it, I was like, so what about all the other people across the world? Like, you know, are they just building up their army in America? I mean, what's going on in other places? I'm just yeah. curious, you know? That is What true. about like, those survivors? What's going on? 
I think there was a there was that was another joke I saw on uh, uh, Twitter that made me laugh. It was somebody did like a visual representation of like the core of the Earth kind of collapsing on itself, and one part of the Earth started like caving in. And it was like it was a cool visual looking, but the um, the comment was, uh, "This is happening. What do you do?" And I saw a few good jokes of like uh, keep the schools open or something to that effect. But the one that I thought was really funny was uh, one guy goes. Oh, I'm I'm fine. I live in uh, I live in Ethiopia, and these events only affect the UK and, and America, so we're good. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're you're not wrong on that, Betty. With all like, why is it just the United States? Like Canada is also attached to the United States, so like, why isn't that affected or anything like that? But then again, well, maybe the U.S. just fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> and this is happening in its own little bubble somewhere. And they're like, we're just going to let everybody else live. We're just going to fight this out on Earth. But first, we got to kill most of them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. Just this giant force field. It's basically under the dome, United States uh, edition. <laughs> yep. Satan versus Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, it, and, and, going, and going into that whole like aspect of, uh, it, um, oh my God, where was that? Where was my mind going to go on that? I was going to say something in regards of it, like being on the United States or something to that effect. It makes sense that the, uh, wow, that thought is just gone. I was going to say it and it's just gone. Well, I think that I've often wondered this when watching like apocalyptic shows from just one perspective, you know, like The Walking Dead. You know, this ain't just going on in America or North America and South America. Other places have to be affected, too. So why are we stuck to this one group of motherfuckers in the South? You know, (laughs) let's go somewhere else more interesting, like Australia, where they have zombies and, you know, deadly spiders. (laughs) I've seen I've seen black sheep and that movie has zombie fucking uh, sheep in uh, New Zealand. So, you know, there's that. Yes, you should yeah. see Black Sheep. It's amazing. Uh, I've seen Black Sheep. Isn't that the Chris Farley, David Spade comedy? <laughs> that is one version of Black Sheep. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to entertain it. Uh, <laughs> Am I wrong? I didn't say that you were wrong. I just said I'm not entertaining it. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, yeah, overall, I, I do give it, I give it at least, a, you know, I have to give it at least a B plus, you know. I was impressed with uh, Tom's new adaptation. Um, happy to see it. And again, I'm curious to see where this goes with this one. The back and forth, it's a bit me. But, you know, there have been a couple things that I'd forgotten until, you know, I got to see it this episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. It's like uh, Glenn. I love Glenn's character and his dog. It's, you know, that came back for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I need to read this book again. You know? So it definitely to... gets a B plus And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you on the B-plus part. I, I, uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. Like I said, I don't know the story, so this is fairly new to me. 
the only like literally the only name I ever recognized coming into it was was Flag because when people talk about the Stephen King universe, Flag is brought up pretty frequently, which is always it was always interesting to me. I was like, is, is the stand that important to this? Well, to the you know, it's not just that he does Flag's character is not alone in the stand. He makes appearances in other universes of Stephen King. Oh, yeah. He's he yeah. Flag shows up in. Uh, let's see. He well, he shows Dark up. Tower. In, he's yes, the main protagonist yes. essentially in the Dark Tower series. Shows up in Eyes of the Dragon. Uh, he shows up in um, Hearts in Atlantis and uh, Gwendy's Button Box. Um, so, but yeah, okay. he crosses over and he is essentially the character that ties all of King's stuff together. Yeah. That's why I hear his name all the time. Okay. That makes sense. He is a driving force of the King universe. The walking dude. <laughs> yeah. So he, he is a crossover character. Um, yeah. Where you see him mentioned a lot. It's not just because we love the stand, which we do. But we are heavy Stephen King fans. <laughs> yeah. We we know about the lore and the canon of Stephen King, and that's why most of us are very bitter about the Dark Tower movie. Mm. Oh yeah, well, it's it's interesting because like like I said before, I can watch um, an adaptation and take it at face value, where uh, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people will sit there and and look at an adaptation and compare it to the book or what the fuck ever, and I'm I'm sitting there going like, well. Like it's not going to be the same, obviously. Um, but I think in regards to let's say this, the the stand here, like I understand it's not going to be like the book. So my go to of like, hey Betty, so I got a question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that's the thing. Even even though I know it's not going to be like the book, I'm okay with that because King does try to update his stories for the times. You know, whatever it, screen adaptation is made, he does try to fit it in to what, you know, we would experience it as today. So I appreciate that about him with the stand and having watched the first one and read the book, the original, you know, it, it's it's very nice to see this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's again, I just wish this whole back and forth thing would just come to an end. It's making me a little dizzy, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, they're telling a good, you know, they're telling the story. They are. They're just taking their sweet ass time to do it. Yeah, I think that's 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 one big factor I've noticed with adaptations versus the original source material is uh, pacing. Because you can read a book as fast as you want. You can make the pacing a little quicker based on how quickly you're reading, which is why I think I was having a hard time listening to the audiobook of Axiom's End with my dad. Uh, because she reads, she was reading it slower than I would have read it, and my brain's just like, Mm-mm, "This is getting boring." Oh, were you listening to that on Audible? Yeah, you can speed it up. Didn't want to do that for him. Oh, was it too fast for him? Yeah, like ah, uh, his 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 comprehension is not as as quick as mine. So, well, basically, he, I like to listen to people at the same rate I would have a conversation. So at this, yeah, at at this point in the car, 
when Greg and his dad are listening back to the playback of this, Greg Sr. is just going to smack the shit out of Greg Jr. Here. Uh, 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 it's like, what well, do you he mean probably like, enjoys us because we yours. talk slow. You know, we're Southern. We talk slow. So <laughs> you can't speed this shit up. <laughs> we can speed it up. I can talk faster if I want to. I just choose not to because, you know, I like to be relaxed. <laughs> relaxed. Relaxed. More yeah. relaxed. That's what I do. I combine words and make new ones. More relaxed. More relaxed. <laughs> Sounds like a new laxative. More relaxed. More Next relaxed. time you're constipated. Next time, you're, <laughs> next time your fish needs to take a bloated shit, give it Merlax. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for later. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's just like I always find that interesting how like an adaptation because I've argued that all like for years that you're never going to get an adaptation that's exactly like the book because it's two different forms of media. A movie or a TV show can't be the same story that you got in a book just by pacing alone, um, or even like a comic book. Like it just can't do it. Like people were upset that they did Civil War for Marvel. Because it only had like at that point like ten fucking characters, maybe a little bit more than that. Whereas the comic book had like over three hundred, four hundred. <laughs> so it's like you're yeah, not. But some of them are only getting a panel or two at best, too, yeah. just to show what side they're on. And eh. keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's always funny when I hear people do that. Like uh, my aunt was very upset that in the Shining, the movie, the, the Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, that they never mentioned the garden or had they went to the garden or something like that, like they did in the book. The maze and the topiaries and stuff. There the was topiary. a lot more shit happening in that kitchen than in the book than there was I in the movie. really like the 90s miniseries that they updated, or maybe it oh, was yeah. the one with Steven Weber. It was good. I have that on DVD. It's very good. I don't like the Kubrick version of The Shining. I've I like the Kubrick, the Kubrick version. I thought it was good. I know Stephen King hated it, but I thought you know it was actually he very well done. He doesn't hate it now, which is interesting because the point that I make about adaptations all the fucking time is that they shouldn't be like the book. They shouldn't be like the the, the source material. They have to be different. Not terribly different, but different enough to where it can tell a different story that works for the medium. Well, yeah, yeah and that's the thing. Stay Visual media the is not the same as you know written media. When you write a story for the you know screen, it has to be different than the book. It you it will not be able to get across to the audience in the same way if you go straight by the book. It just won't ever happen. Perfect example of this is the the Watchmen series, the movie versus the book. Like, no joke, the movie is panel for panel the same except for the ending. I wish I was joking. It really is. You can That's watch sad. the movie. You can watch the movie and like turn the page, and it's it's like they use the comic book as a fucking storyboard. Um, but the movie was a massive failure, huge flop, and it got really bad reviews. Now people go, "Why?" It's just like the comic book pacing. You can read the comic book at different speed. Then you can watch a movie. Yeah. Uh, there's also a number of reasons because Zack Snyder isn't a very good filmmaker, but. Um, uh, Ooh, take that. Yeah, no. Fucking drop that hammer hard. Look, he got popular with 300 and just thought he could make anything. 
he can't. He just can't. Uh, no. Everyone's like, oh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League is going to be better than the one we got. No, the fuck it's not. No, I mean, it might not. be. That was a travesty in its own, but, you know, we've seen DC can rarely make a good movie. I mean, recently. Just reviewed one that they fucking flopped at. That's and I argue again, like you want good DC shit, go to their fucking animated stuff. Like it's their so animated better. stuff is so good. It's fantastic, but we're now getting off base. The point I was getting at about adaptations is they have to be different than the source material, especially if you have time restraints, which is what's interesting with what you guys are saying about the stand here, because it's very clear that the um that this adaptation is going slow. When you're it like, feels like it. you don't have enough time. So, but we'll I mean, see. there are things that are being left out, you know, just little things. I mean, you know, again, stuff that kind of has to be left out to tell the story visually, you know, but uh, yeah, I do. I just, I feel like it's going slower than it should if it's going to be wrapped up in nine episodes. That's just how I feel like the flow is right now. Well, there could be a giant chunk of the book that's left out for the show too. Like, we don't Yeah, I think. We'll just have to wait and see, you know, yeah. how PC all, we going to go. <laughs> I, think that's, I think for that's, that's a, an interesting reason to keep going with the show on, on reviewing the show consistently is that, you know, the book fairly well, Betty, I don't at all. So having our juxtaposition on watching it is going to be super fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Cause Jeff's I'm, Jeff's read it too, and he watched the original adaptation. So we both know, you know, when we watch it together, because I don't watch it without him, you know. So we're both kind of left with the same conclusions at the end of it. It's like, okay, well, you know, uh huh. And but, where are we going with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you said you watched the, the miniseries, right? But mm -hmm. you never read the book? I'm sorry, oh, Maya. No. Maya, That's you said. Sorry, I yeah, said the never wrong read one. the original book, but I did watch the original miniseries. Okay, and I rewatched. Yeah, it was good, and I rewatched it. You know, I watched it when it aired, and I rewatched it about ten years later. But it's been about fifteen years since I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, it's, I did that. Sorry, the reason I was asking is because, um, I think the three of us reviewing this every week is going to be fascinating to see. Like, I love to compare. I don't. I don't like to compare in a cr critical fashion. If that makes sense. Well, yeah, I'm trying to you're be very open-minded about all of this. Yeah, with this, you're going to get three completely different perspectives because you're from the totally new, blind perspective, not having seen the original miniseries or read the book. I'm miniseries only, and Betty is both. So we're right. going to have, you know, that's which uh, cool perspectives to see this on. And that's and that's what that spells newbie. <laughs> that's what, <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> um, that's why I'm excited about continuing the show is because of that whole like I love doing that, and I hope that down the road that there's something where we can inverse that where Betty's totally blind and I'm like well versed in. That's oh hell. Super haven't we already done that with the Star Wars universe? Well, she's not totally blind, but and I'm. Pretty blind to a lot of things. I'm not completely blind. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But my my Star Wars is very limited to pretty much, you know, the uh the the you know, and the Mandalorian. The originals and Mandalorian. <laughs> Outside of that, I've just no, I haven't gone swimming in that pool, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I'm excited. You don't want to go in that pool. 
lot of people pee in it. Well, it's like Watchmen too, you know, when I watched that, I had no idea about that. So that was, you know, again, fascinating. And I think the Star Wars thing is, you know, it's been fascinating for me to listen to your take on it. And, you know, both of you guys talk about your experiences with it. Because, again, I don't have that. You know, I don't have these frames of reference because it's not something that I got into. It's like I knew it was there. I knew it existed. I knew people loved it. I just couldn't find the the oomph to give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I think you also had a different perspective on the, the the franchise as a whole, and George Lucas kind of you know writing it very in a, in a sexist mindset because of the time. Um, and I think that also very much kind of turned you away from it. Yeah, I mean, you know, again as. I got turned away from the Bible as a seven-year-old because I found it sexist. <laughs> this is just ingrained in me, okay? I was just like, wait a minute. Women are not equal to... Why would it say that? I did not understand. I was like, this is so wrong. Why would it say this? Yeah. It, like, this it, is not right. <laughs> and it's it's funny that we're talking about this right now because that's part of what I wanted to bring up uh, with the, um, the representation conversation. Uh which we'll get into in just a minute here, everybody. So stick with us. But uh, one of, I think our favorite actors, um, Rao Cooley, um, he was in an interview a while back when uh, Ghost in the Shell was coming out where Scarlett Johansson was playing the lead. And it was a huge piece of contention because the main character in Ghost in the Shell in the manga and in the anime, the movie, is uh, Japanese. She doesn't even have a Japanese name. Um, and... Does her being Japanese play any integral role to the story at all? Yes. It does? Yep, it does. Okay. Then, Um, yeah, maybe they should have picked somebody else. (laughs) Well, he points out, like, he was in in a conversation with uh, uh, Funhouse at the time, which was an internet group attached to Rooster Teeth, yada, yada, whatever. And uh, they were talking about this. And he he says this. He goes, I'm 100% for inclusivity. I'm 100% for bringing people in. But you have to understand that they didn't hire Scarlett Johansson because they're racist, because they're... uh, they didn't want to include other people. It's because she's marketable because they know that she puts butts in seats. That's it. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of she that. Puts, has to do with she that. puts other parts and other parts too. I'm saying wieners in hand. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand. <laughs> but no, like that. No. And I think that that, that like is a huge factor when talking about, um, for example, for the stand, um, I had made a comment how I got confused about three characters because they're three blonde white women. <laughs> and uh, literally my brain was like, there's nothing differing about them to the extent that's really like capturing my understand or like remembering of who they are. So um, I don't know what that says about me, but that's definitely something that I had kind of had a, had an issue with. So uh there was a point I was going to make about that, but now I lost it. Doesn't matter. Uh, the, the 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 overall part is that um, a lot of the time, in, like uh, inclusivity and stuff like that, is purely based on Hollywood wanting a certain face. Yeah, it's inclusivity is based on uh, marketability. There you go. Yeah, and on a. Uh, I don't want to go on too many tangents, but uh, 
there's a there's a video doc, not a video doc, but a video essay on this subject that I find fascinating, and it's about uh, Robin Williams playing the genie in Aladdin. Oh. Um, have you ever noticed that a lot of animated films have a high-profile actor as the lead voice actor on it, and they tout it as such, and they say, like, blah, 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 as blah, 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 all the time. Like, yeah. there, was, there was a big joke, like, because Zendaya was really popular, and she was in that awful fucking kids movie about um, Yetis or what the fuck ever, or Sasquatch. Uh. And they were like, Zendaya's in this movie, and it was a big deal, even though she's in, like... She was a, a Disney star. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, she was the, a Disney kid. I mean, that's my first thought of her is when she was a little girl on Disney. I'm like, really? This is your first go-to for Zendaya? I'm like, what? Well, she's marketable is the point I was getting at. That's yes, she name, is. That's why her name kept popping up. And um, it was always really funny to me that that was a thing. And what this video essay talks about, um, Lindsay Ellis does it, if anyone wants to go look it up, um, is that when Robin Williams agreed to come in and do the voice of the genie, he made it very clear that he put it in his contract that he didn't want any of the market marketing for this movie to be with his name on it. He didn't want people only coming to see Aladdin because Robin Williams is in it. He wanted people to come see Aladdin because it's a kid's movie and he wanted his, he wanted parents to bring their kids to come see a kid's movie. Disney said, nah, and did it anyway. And because of Aladdin and because of how Disney marketed Aladdin to put his name on the marquee, that's how it like snowballed into all these other studios doing the same thing. And wow. so when I see a movie like, you know, Ghost in the Shell come out with Scarlett Johansson, the lead of an Asian actress or an Asian character, they even kept her name. <laughs> They've kept her name and it was fully Asian. It was fully Japanese. Um, uh, it, it it just screams to me the same shit that Raul Cooley was talking about. It's all about marketability and not so much that somebody with a skin color darker than khaki, you know, isn't desirable or anything like that. I mean, yeah, if society treated people like that as more desirable, then they would be more desirable in Hollywood. That's part of the problem. Well, yes, yes. Society decides what is marketable. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, society has made its choice in certain areas and then is turning around and, you know, you can't do that. It's like, but you said to do this. <laughs> yeah. Which one do you want? <laughs> well, for anyone listening, we've moved, we've clearly moved on to uh this next topic which is very sporadic and where we're going to go with it but the reason that we wanted to bring it up as a whole was because betty had noticed or would want to talk about um representation representation but not necessarily in race per se but more so um because we're going to bring up race is the point i was getting at but it was it was yeah. brought up it was brought up in conversation based on uh, disabilities in represented in media, like should disabled people play disabled roles? Yeah. And not just that, but you know, it's like any role in Hollywood that has a character that is somewhat other, you know, it's like, if you have a trans character, should it always be a trans person playing them? If you have a straight character, should it always be a straight person playing them? Do we have to, go that far 
you know, I mean, it's like, well, at uh, what point are we whitewashing? And at what point does it just not really matter to the story? What color these people are? The story is a story. Right. I, I think uh, very recently here, Jim Parsons, who was, uh, who played um, Sheldon on Big Bang Theory. Uh, he got a role recently. That's, I think it's on Netflix, but it's a movie where he plays, I think he plays a gay character, but him, he himself is, wait, does he play a streak? I don't fucking remember. Anyway. <laughs> I know what you're talking about and I can't either. <laughs> I can't remember if Jim Parsons is gay. I think he is gay, but yeah. Um, the conversation that he had with variety is that um, he believes that all roles should be open to all people, period is what he said. But, you know, there is the argument of like, if a person, if the character is, uh, differently abled, I was trying to think of like a, an actual disability name, but I can't think of it. Neurodiverse. Yeah. Neurodiverse. There you go. Um, if they are, would it be would it be better for them to have the role versus, let's say, an actor that maybe can, I don't know, play the character and and make it a little like from the aspect of of acting on a compelling level. Like, can that person with a disability act on that compelling level? I think Betty and I, you talked about briefly the the movie with uh, Sean Penn. I am Sam. Yeah, and I thought that was a beautiful movie. I, I love that movie, and uh, <laughs> it it's one of these things where you know I it's I'm not saying because I I have autism myself. My husband is autistic, and my daughter is autistic, and I'm not saying that we we do not exist in the acting world, but we are a niche group of people that are not broad enough to be able to fit every range of autistic person out there. Does that mean that we have to come first as the, you know, as the person who fills that role every time? I don't think so. I think it, it, it all depends on who's the best actor for the part, not, you know, who's going to fit this niche individualistic view of being autistic. Because it is very individualized, you know, individualized because everybody's experience with autism is not the same. It's different for every individual. And, you know, even in families where you've got multiple people with autism, everybody experiences it very differently. You know, with um, the role of um, Maddie Ziegler in Sia's new upcoming film, Music, she plays a nonverbal autistic girl who uses a board to speak. Her name is Music, and her sister and her bond. And it's very much a musical, feel-good type of movie, you know. It's uh, neurodiversity porn for the non-neurodiverse people, you know, basically. You know, like you have disability porn and stuff like that. Um, I've seen that quite a few times. In this case, I think Sia probably said it best herself when she said that this was not me being, you know, um, uh, unaware of the disabled community or the neurodiverse community. It was more of her own nepotism because she doesn't seem to do much of anything without Maddie Ziegler involved. 
So it didn't surprise me when I found out that she was going to be playing this character in the role because it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Maya, for you, you watch, I don't know if you watched the video this morning of Chandelier that I sent to you, but it's the same girl who was in that, that she was in her first big hit video, which was Chandelier. Mm-hmm. And they have been together ever since with tons of projects that Sia has done. Okay. Okay. And I didn't get a chance to watch that because, you know, this morning overslept and then I was like, okay, it's a race to get breakfast made and eat and then get in here to start recording. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, and I get, you know, I've seen where um, people have said where, you know, this will make people think that this is what all autistic people are like. I'm like, I really hope not, you know, because that, well, that I mean, means. To be fair, um, let's take Tourette's, for example. The um, I don't remember the name of the movie. I want to say it was Deuce Bigelow. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, everyone thought that everyone with Tourette's, that Tourette's itself was, ah, fix shit, cunt. And then that's it. Um, no. And it can Tourette's, be. It can be. But Tourette's is not just that. Tourette's is. Yeah, it's, that's it. not the typical Tourette's. No, it's, it's, a, it's a more spectrum disability. And it was very frustrating to me to see people kind of latch on to like, that's, that's what Tourette's is. And um, so I totally get where people are coming from with the Sia thing. Totally get it. But I think that more intelligent people are going to be like, nah, dude, <laughs> relax. Uh, well, I think it would be very hard to find somebody who is like the character that, um, Maggie Ziegler is representing in this movie uh, in the acting community. I honestly think this would be a unicorn of a find in the acting community. Uh, yeah. there, there's a show that Jim Jeffries did on FX a few years back in the mid 2010s. And I adored it. It was called legit. It ran for two seasons. And one of the main characters and it's based off of a stand-up bit that Jim did. Uh, back home in Australia, one of his friends had uh, MS uh, and was diagnosed with it, and they didn't expect him to live to see 30. So he came to him. He's like, I'm going to be 32 next year. I'm supposed to be dead already. I've never had sex before. Will you get me a hooker? And Jim, huh. Jim's like, Yes. They made a series based around that and built around that bit. And the the, the character uh, was renamed, um, <clears throat> but uh, he was playing, he was played by DJ Qualls. And he's got MS and he's lost the use of his legs and he has to be confined to a wheelchair. And, you know, he's almost a total paraplegic as a result, but he starts taking a treatment and can regain the use of his hands. Uh, because of an experimental drug. Now, in this, I think you need an actor who has the ability to portray uh, somebody with those type of disabilities because you wouldn't be able to take a total paraplegic and then, you know, say, hey, for story purposes, you're going to regain the use of your hands and get hope for this experimental drug. Well, they're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Can I ask, I'm going to ask you a question real quick. Okay. Let's say you're a casting director, right? Uh And you have two actors in the room. One is a paraplegic, going to play a paraplegic, and one is not a paraplegic. And the the person who's not a paraplegic is a better emotional actor than the paraplegic. 
Mm -hmm. How do you handle that situation? Oh, well, it depends on what the role calls for. They're the main, they're the lead. They're the ones that's, that are going, that's going to connect to the audience in a multitude of ways. And based on all the, the, um, what can I think of the word? The uh, auditioning that you've done, the, the non-disabled -dis actor has better range than the disabled actor. What I would do if budget would allow, and this is me personally, I would keep both and have the disabled person attempt it with the other person acting as an acting coach for them. And if it didn't work out, then keep the disabled person on hand for the actor themselves as a, a role to show them, you know, the intricacies that they would need to accurately portray. I think it would be more of a tandem thing in that regard, but give the disabled person a shot first. And if it doesn't work out that way, that's one way that I would do it. I think honestly, with you trying to be fair, uh, I think it, if I were on either of those situations, that would piss me off. That it oh. really would. It would piss me off. I would not want to be in that situation. I wouldn't um, want to either. I mean, as the either the disabled actor or the non-disabled actor. I mean, either way, you're saying that you know, you know, you're already saying the disabled actor cannot fill the role, you know, because again, their acting is not up to par, and that's the problem. Is you know, actors are actors are actors. They're meant to be able to play people they are not. Yeah. Uh, Oh, when well, you have a disability, one of the problems with having a disability in the acting world is you get typecast yeah. very quickly and very easily. Sure, sure. You know, and so it's no, not, not. A, it's not something that a lot of uh, people with um, disabilities or neurodiversity go into because it's like, uh, I don't want to be on a stage. I don't want to be in front of hundreds of thousands of people. A lot of autistic people I know would have a trouble with that, being on stage in front of people. You know, it, it would be very nerve-wracking. Well, that, that's why I brought up this show in point, legit, because there were uh, people that were cast as uh, supporting characters uh, that were in this assisted living facility that the main the DJ Qualls character was in. And they actually used people who were disabled in various forms and capacities, you know, whether it be something mentally or something physically or a combination of both and used them in the roles. So, I mean, it was kind of more of an equal opportunity, but I remember Jim was talking about how he really, really wanted to use, uh, you know, somebody who was paraplegic uh, and not necessarily fully quadriplegic, but he was unable to just because of the limited options that the role would require. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a fascinating thing. The reason but, I ask uh, is because I've I've seen I've seen quite a bit in the past from other films that have uh, uh, disabled characters. Either you know they just can't like like they're from the waist down can't walk. They're paraplegic, like you said, something to that effect. And 
the the casting director and like the commentary is talking about when they brought in a bunch of people who were paraplegic because they that was the casting call. They wanted somebody who was disabled already to play the role versus you know doing any auditions for uh, um, fully abled people. Um, and uh, what she talked about was in her area, or at least her uh, casting um, agency, couldn't find anybody that was already disabled that was fitting the role, that was, in her mind, good enough as an actor to play the part. Um, and it took them forever to find the right one. And um, I think what it was is that he was, he wasn't fully disabled. Like he could still kind of walk, but not very well. Like he had to be in a wheelchair, but for the role he played, he was fully like disabled from the waist down. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always thought that was an interesting, like look at that because I understand that and get that. And you know, it's, very difficult to fill those roles, which is, you know, and I, and I get your point, Betty, when I, when I was saying, if possible, if it were possible, give it to the disabled actor first. And, you know, maybe they could benefit with the other person being on board as, Hey, let's try this, you know, as a coach. And I get what you're saying. That would be upsetting. And you're right. It is an upsetting situation. I wouldn't want to be placed in that situation. Like if I were, if, if they called for an amputee that had to learn to walk again. And I was like, you know what? I had to do that. I'm going to go out for it. Uh, and then there was somebody else that was, you know, not an amputee, but they have digital technology and they could portray those struggles better than I could. I'll I also point this out. Yeah. You know what I'm you mean, saying? Like Sergeant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, and Forrest Gump. Um, yeah. also, I also want to point this out to to what Betty was saying. The scenario that I gave was a simply a like throw it at you, see what you say kind of scenario. Because in reality, and as we have I've seen and reviewed on the show, a bad director can make a good actor look bad, and a great director can make a mediocre actor look fucking phenomenal. Yeah. So in that scenario that I gave, I would leave it to the director and hire the disabled person. But um, uh, it's, I always throw that scenario at people just to see kind of where their mind goes, see how they kind of react to it. And um, <laughs> some people have just straight up said, like, I'd hire the better actor, period. Nobody, who cares? Well, you know, and the reason why I answer the way I do is because I truly do believe that representation does matter. But oh, I also absolutely. truly believe that representation should be done accurately and to the best of its ability. And if you have to fake it to make it, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, then go ahead and do it. Are, I mean... Actors are actors for a reason. So I, I, I wanted to mention something because it has to do with what we're talking about because I find it kind of interesting. We're talking about Hollywood movies. And um, I opened my phone for a second to see if, because it's on mute, to see if my parents had texted me because I'm their caretaker. They had not. However, my phone was still on Twitter. And I saw a thing that says, this is the headline, why a new Bollywood film is sparking a conversation on representation. And I went, uh, yeah, fucking perfect timing. Um, 
so apparently a trailer for a uh, trailer for actor Risha or Rika. I can't pronounce her last name. I'm going to say Shadha. That's how I'm pronounce it. It's a new Hindi film. Uh, Madam Chief Minister. I guess that's the name of the movie. Um, dropped Wednesday. In the movie, she is playing a role of a politician in northern Indian state of Ustar Pradesh. Uh, while it... Sorry, Uttar. Uttar Pradesh. Pradesh. Jesus Christ, Greg. You're butchering this. <laughs> while it includes a disclaimer that the film is not based on reality, many have found it to resemble the story of the iconic Dalit, formerly known as Untouchables, leader and politician, uh, Maya Wadi. And this has led to questions about why a Dalit, a Dalit actor was not cast in the role. Okay. I have to assume, I have to assume that it has to do with marketability. I have to. You know, that, um, it may just simply boil down to that. Uh, as simple as it is and as sucks as, it, uh, as much as it sucks to say it just all boils down to marketability at, at the end of the day it probably is just exactly that uh, underneath the surface or you know what I'm trying to say yeah I also want to bring it up because it's 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 very clearly not just Hollywood very no. clearly not that Hollywood and so. this is you know film television I'm sure it comes to the plays you know stage plays I'm sure that there's the same type of controversies there. We just don't hear about it as much. Um, <clears throat> what I think is very interesting, and Betty, I think you'll enjoy this, is that um, most of the roles in Star Wars, the main films, are white people. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, but that's just the ones that you see their face. I have no idea who's under them Stormtrooper things, so... Uh, extras and shit like that. I don't know, but it, the point, the main characters is what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, isn't the guy who was R2-D2, isn't he um, East Indian? No. That's no he, was, he was British. Oh, um, was he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because in the film Rogue One, um, on the casting sheet for the eight casting agents, uh, race and gender were never brought up. Not once. They wanted characters for specific roles. That was it. Uh, didn't matter if they were male or female. And they wrote, and based on who they hired, they wrote around those characters. So the main character of that was never written female or male in the beginning. It was genderless. And every huh. other role was. It was genderless and raceless. Um, the secondary main character to, um, I can't remember her, the actress's name for the life of me, but Felicity. He, um, what was her name? Yeah, I'm drawing a fucking blank. But anyway, the 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 the, the secondary the secondary character to to her character, um, he is a uh, he is not from America. He's actually from Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones and Diego Luna. Diego Luna. There's a story, a, a beautiful story about a girl who loved Star Wars and she was, she always saw, she always watched Star Wars. She watched it with her dad all the time. And her dad was an immigrant. He had very broken English and they went and saw Rogue One. They're Mexico, leaving Mexico city, Mexico. Okay. So not Ecuador. Jesus Christ. I was way off. Um, 
her father is from the same place as Diego Luna. And they get into the car and all he he can't not get over how that man was his perfect representation. He like was in tears because he was like, that was me on the screen up there. The same accent, the same skin color. And in a, in a major Hollywood film, you know, uh, and that's, that's a great thing to see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, I use that as an example pretty frequently when I talk about how I think movies should be movies and TV shows should be made is the story should be written uh, without any characteristics other than personality. That way you can put a role of somebody who is differently abled, uh, um, disabled, uh, has, you know, auto, like you put the best actor in the role, period. Wouldn't well, you agree? You know, yeah, you do. And, but it also depends on the story you're trying to tell. I guess, you know? yes, yes, you're correct on that. You're absolutely um, correct on that. There are a lot of um, stories in history where it, they have gotten whitewashed, you know, uh, in television and film industry. They, they're completely whitewashed. And it's aggravating to see that because it's like, you know, you know, this is not the history. And you, I don't think you can appropriately tell that story to its worthiness when you're whitewashing it that badly. You know, like um, when you have like, uh, you know, white characters that take over, it's like, again, with the Scarlett Johansson thing with the uh, ghosts in the shell, that's not a historical thing. But if, if I do find it unsettling that, you know, marketability plays out over top of um, ethic ability, you know, uh, it's. Oh yeah, I, I I never want to come across as I'm defending marketability over anything else. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I don't think you are, and I don't think anyone is. But so society has said, you know, this is what we want, and then when they get what they want, they get mad. Yeah. You know, and it's like you can't have it both ways. It's like you know, with um, Bollywood uh, and other. Uh, East Asian film industries that I've seen, uh, color plays a huge part of uh, who gets a role, who's got the lighter skin. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're finally coming to the forefront of bringing attention to this because like uh, I know there was recently one uh, Bollywood actress who was very well known who basically blackfaced herself for a movie. And it's like, why couldn't you have hired somebody who was actually that color to do that role? It's marketability, yes, but you don't, they don't see what they're doing there. I mean, that's basically blackfacing. You know, you're taking a East Indian actress of a lighter skin color <clears throat> and putting makeup on her to make her appear of a darker skin color just to play this role of a woman who's dealing with having a darker skin color in their society. That's insane. And it sounds very American to me. Especially early 20th century American. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
before we go on where we we brought up rogue one a minute ago and the diversity in the casting list i just wanted to mention um and this ties into kind of like representation riz ahmed that played the pilot bodhi rook uh he is on a movie that's free to watch on amazon prime it's called the sound of metal where he plays a musician who has dealing with sudden rapid onset hearing loss. Oh, that sucks. Oh, it's so well done. Oh, it's a good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, so, you know, of course he is not deaf in real life, but he's portraying someone that is losing his hearing and the difficulty that it would be like as an adult to have to learn to live that way after you've been so used to, you know, not having to deal with that. And a, a musician on top of that, but it's really good. I highly recommend it for anyone out there. I watched it this weekend. Uh, I have a question for you, Betty, because I wanted to throw this in your in your throw this ball in your court. I guess is what I'm trying to say. If let's say, for example, a um, an actor is hired for a role where they have to play a disabled person, um. And again, I'm using I Am Sam as an example because of what Sean Penn did. Do you think that it is important for the actor to find sources that work with the role they're trying to play? Or do you what like what do you think is the best course of action? Well, I think, you know, as I think any actor, what they should do when they're playing a role is try to understand where their character's coming from. So, yeah, you go out and you find people who, who are living this reality. What, what knowledge can you impart to me so I can portray what you're going through on the screen so yeah. people who don't understand it get it? You know, that's, that's very, very important. I absolutely think that is just straight up there important. Because I don't think there is enough people of diversity in acting at this point. One day we might get there. We are not there yet. But we still need people to play these roles so people can gain empathy. You know, and I, I'm going to take the best person to make that empathy happen for the people who are neurotypical. You know, um, I'm going to take the best person to maybe give you know, breath and humanism to my character who is, you know, transgendered or, you know, my character who is female, but, you know, she's not actually being played by a female. She's being played by, you know, a woman who is born biologically male. I think she can do that job too. You know, if she's the better actress, absolutely put her in there. It's, it's just about representation. At this point, it's been very hard as somebody who is neurodiverse to see how it plays out in the media because, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm partially disabled and I'm neurodiverse and I'm seeing this and I'm like, some of it is, you know, it, it's feel good porn for typical people, people who are not, you know, disabled or, you know, uh, affected by neurodiversity in any aspect of their life. And then other times I think the, you know, some shows go a very good long way of showing people this is reality for some of us. 
And like The Good Doctor, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that show at first, but I think they've done a fantastic job with it. And Freddie Highmore is not autistic. Right. You know, but they've done a great job with it. From what I've experienced in my life with other autistics, yes, that he does an excellent job portraying that and giving a voice to those people who probably couldn't do that kind of character acting that he's doing. Because it's very intense. I mean, I think acting as a whole, as a physically disabled person, again, it's like we were, I was telling you about Albert Lynn, who's on Nat Geo, and he's he's got a prosthetic leg, and he's trekking all over South America and other places, exploring places, hiking mountains, scuba diving, and I'm like, wow. And here I have both my biological legs, and I'm sitting on the couch eating candies and drinking, you know, sweet tea. <laughs> I mean, you know, but he's obviously up for the challenge. I don't know if most disabled people would be up for the challenge of what I know a, a typical day of acting on the set can entail for a person. It's very draining. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, some disabled people, that go through, say, for instance, an amputation, I'm still not back to 100% of what yeah. I used to. Well, and yeah, because you're missing half a leg. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it takes mean, a while. It takes a long time. What my body went through, it takes a long time. And, yes, I've not pushed myself as much as I could. I fully admit I, that. I'm sorry. I was trying to make a joke about how your body will never be 100% because you are missing oh, no, I'm like 80% of what I used to be. Um, are you gonna Deadpool that and grow it back? Yes, <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> I know, mean, that, I used to sit around, around shirt cocking it, and you know, <laughs> it, 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 it regrow them legs. I think that is something to take into consideration too. You know, why do we not have a lot of diversity in acting? Because it is a rough job, and you have to be. I mean, you—it's like watching the characters in Star Wars. You can't be a chubby girl in that. Mm -mm. Wow. I can't sit on my couch eating my candies and drinking my sweet tea while also acting in Star Wars like they do. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the two are not compatible. There's there's an example of like hiring a very good actor for a role that had that didn't have to be him. Um, and what I mean by that is when I when I say who it is, I'll I'll get to the point I'm getting at. But um, there's a character in a X Men movie who's a villain. Um, he has never been portrayed by a little person yet. Peter Dinklage portrayed him in the movie because Peter yeah. Dinklage is a phenomenal fucking actor. Yeah, he is. Mm. Uh, God, I love him. <laughs> and I think that to me is a good example of like, just because the role originally in the source material was like a tall, regular, like white man, doesn't mean it has to be portrayed that I say this all the fucking time. There is nothing about any character in Spider-Man, none of his villains, none of his friends, or him himself that implicitly says he has to be a white dude. Not, oh, not no. one. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. We need to start, you know, if there are great actors out there who you know, reach some aspect of an audience. And again, they are the unicorns. Peter Dinklage is a unicorn of an actor. He's amazing. And he just also happens to be a little person. Right. You know, I mean, he can, he can fill so many roles. And I think there's a lot of stories that you can tell where, you know, you can flip things on their head, you know, 
and it's not going to matter. The story is still the story. Yeah. Uh, very few things that, you know, again, historic type of things, you need to kind of be a little more accurate with that shit. I'm, I get a little touchy with that. And maybe that's just, you know, no, I don't it, know. Is like, it is absolutely a case by case basis. Yeah. Um, I think that like, uh, if we look at, if we look at a show that, um, they basically cast the characters based on gender only. Um, and that was uh, um, Haunting of Bly Manor. All of those roles were just cast based on gender. That was it. Um, and I, I fucking like the doubt though. That show is so fucking good um, because they just got the right actors for the right roles, you know, versus worrying about like their skin color. I guess that the past mattered a little bit. Like there was probably nobody of any other color, but white, you know, 200 years ago or whatever, but. Well, it's like, you know, um, with telling of Hamilton, you know, the, the on Disney plus the stage musical it's they've, you know, it's an all-color cast except for the king, which is funny because I think he's like the only main white character. Uh, the only other white character is the guy that I can't think of his name, but he um, he was the one representing the king in America, standing on the soapbox that Hamilton argued with or debated. Yeah, he's the only other white actor. In the yeah, world. you know, and I, I if you're not telling the story of race issues. Then yeah, you could. Well, even if you're telling just the story of race issues, yeah, you could turn it on his head. You know, I mean, if you're not trying to be historically accurate, yeah, absolutely, turn it on its head. Make people think. You know, I love that when people turn things on their head. I didn't think it went over very well with Ghostbusters, though. Uh, I think that was just that one that, I think it was just it, a poorly told story. <laughs> it yeah, was a poorly, but, poorly written, poorly written retelling of the original. Yeah, I was so bummed about that when I saw it because I was excited. I was like, yay! This oh, is love, awesome. I love most of the women that they cast I in know, it. And, I, Paul, and Paul Feig has written great fucking movies in the past. It's just nothing came together in this one. Yes, no. A lot of things just fell flat. But you know, it's like a lot of times you can do that. I think with The Dark Tower you could not do that. No, Because Roland's race had a very huge implication in the story. But it didn't have that in the, the movie at all. There was, but most of the movie was not the Dark Tower, period, at all. No. It was not the Dark Tower. I'm, I'm sorry. You just don't take a, a seven book epic uh, that is thousands of pages long and turn it into an 88 minute movie. You yeah. can't. It was bullshit. I would love to see the Dark Tower, the entire series, be turned into like a 10, 10 season animated show. Well, they're, they're, they've been doing like ongoing comic series of it, you know, uh, Marvel Comics has for years now, like different aspects of the story. Uh, they've done it in graphic novel form and they are doing, supposed to be doing a season, uh, seasons of it on either HBO or Amazon. I just can't remember which, but whew, that movie <clears throat> was I bad. I haven't seen it myself, but. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't just because and I, I can't even say this, it's not because of Idra Elbas. He is a great actor. Idris Elba. Fan, yeah, he is fantastic. <laughs> Sorry. He's a wonderful actor. Love Idris Elba. That's not my problem with this movie. My problem with this movie is you took 30 years of storytelling 
over seven books and thousands crammed it, in thousands minutes. and crammed it into 88 minutes and that's with the it ending credits sucked. rolling it sucked <laughs> and you take out oh i don't know four very very incredibly important characters to the story to the heart of the story you oh, just yeah. don't even have them yeah, I did not. Again, the whole thing. I was like, "What? What is? What fresh hell is this? I don't understand." You know, I mean, again, I was ex so excited when I first heard about it because I love the Dark Tower, and you know, as a fan from more than twenty years ago, we waited a long time for those last yep. couple books to come out, and, and then we the last so three books—the last three books—came out in a year's time, and it was great. <laughs> You know, I hadn't read them, uh, the uh, never read the series up until the year before the last three books came out. That's when I read the first four books, and then I was like, Oh, I don't have to wait long, I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt about uh, Game of Thrones because, uh, you know, I'd already read like, you know, by the time we were all waiting on the fifth book, I, I read that, uh, like the first four. So I was like, okay, you know, and I was pregnant and had a newborn while I was reading those. So it took me a while and I was good and caught up by the time the fifth one came out. And then I found out they were making a TV show and I was really excited. And then they did what they did. I don't have a problem with what they did. I love what they did. At the end? Yeah. I was fine with it. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Never read the books, though, so. No, 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 no. That was the worst season series ending. And yeah, no, that, that, that was horrible. It was trash. It was disgusting. <laughs> I hated I it, was, it. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> Shut your mouth. The only thing, <clears throat> I mean, really, everybody got what they wanted. That there was too complex of a story to end it like that. That sucked. I mean, it's all sudden, oh, major White Walker fight, and then next thing you know, we're you know right there. Everything happens and done. I was like, what was that? What the fuck was that? That was no. What was that? It was so bad. But again, I have the joy of the books. I love the books. Uh, the Wheel of Time is going to be coming out. I'm going to be very curious to see what they do with that when it comes to casting. If there's going to be anybody with disabilities uh, cast or, you know, when it comes to uh, race, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do because this is a world flipped upside down and on its head a couple times over. So everybody's kind of gotten mixed up in weird ways. And I'm very curious to see how they're going to portray what he wrote in the books when it came to region and uh, dialect and race. I mean, again, that this is some Lord of the Rings type world building that uh, Jordan did. So Amazon could do an amazing thing with it or they could do it like Utopia and say after one season, fuck it, we're done. You know? Was Utopia on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I think we talked about it a while back about why shows get canceled and uh, on, on streaming services, for that matter, and it was always interesting to me. You could have huge numbers, but doesn't matter if uh, 
the show well, costs more than it's bringing in. Yeah, well, like, since 8, I don't know if you guys ever watched that. It was on Netflix. No, but... And they had uh, three seasons, and it was done by the Wachowskis. Yeah, the Wachowski sisters. And it was amazing. I mean, to this day, it is still one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen when it comes to portraying people and connectedness and humanity. Yeah, the, the craziest thing about that show, Betty, is that it was very well received. It had a ton of viewers, like in the millions, but because every, like the next season didn't bring in any new viewers, Netflix was like, no, not anymore. I mean that and that's horrible because it was I mean the the viewers that it had you know we were loyal and dedicated and we loved this series you know I mean I'm still a member of a sensei group on Facebook <laughs> because it was it was really one of the most amazing things I had ever seen and they did such a beautiful job with it and it was inclusive and just amazing and that's, we need more of that. You know, we need to bring these types of things again to the forefront. And it's like, sometimes it's going to take a non-disabled actor with privilege to do that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, I feel like as a, a, sometimes as a white person, I'm going to have to use my privilege to do things for other people, even though I'm not, you know, like black, I have Black Lives Matter stickers on my car, big ones in a redneck area. It's scary, but I do it because my privilege allows me that right and affords me the safety of being a white woman to do it. And I'm trying to bring representation to an, a, you know, a group that is not as represented as they should be or, you know, something to that effect. And I feel like that's what we're doing with actors is they're. Their job is to bring light to a situation. And you can't always put, you know, somebody who's been there, done that in that role because they're not always going to be the best person to bring light to that situation. Yeah, I think I think uh, an example for me that I always that I kind of find interesting is uh, the. um, The actress that was in uh, Orange is the New Black, she's trans. She's fabulous. Yeah, I love her. Uh, apparently she was, she was talking about recently that she's constantly being typecast as a trans character. And what she really wants is just roles. <laughs> she's just like, I don't have to always portray a trans character guys. <laughs> like it's not necessary. Um, and I found that fascinating because I totally see that being a thing. I totally see her, you know, because of that role in orange is the new black being constantly typecast as that. And um- I saw her in something recently where, you know, she was just a woman. Uh, is, well, I'm sure uh, she's still, yeah, I'm sure she's still getting roles like that, but it was interesting that she was talking about that in the interview. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things. When you are originally put into something and you are type, you're XYZ, whether it be, you know, you've got one leg or, you know, you're blind or something else once you get typecast into that it's very hard to get out of it yeah you know it's it's something i've seen over and over again we've we've lost some great actors because they get so typecast that they lose relevance you know and i don't want to see that happen with what good characters we have from the you know 
other side of the aisle, so to speak. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think uh, I, I that's that's kind of why I was mentioning it earlier that I just I just want casting directors to just cast for a role and not worry about like all this other superfluous shit, especially if it's like a fantasy or sci-fi based thing. Um, unless the role like specifically calls for a disabled person or, um, you know, an Asian person or a black person or, or a trans person, like you don't, you don't have to cast uh, the, the best marketable, marketable person, cast the best actor, period. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you. It just popped in my head. Can you do Othello without uh, one character whose race is completely different from everybody else's? Uh, yes. And I think the way that you do that is you make that person different in another way. Okay. So yeah. I think I think you could do Othello, let's say, where everybody is different races. It's It's a mixed race cast, right? But the person who is the outsider has autism. Maybe he's different. He's on the spectrum at some point, but everyone treats him poorly. Um, just an example, just one thing. Um, maybe he's gay and that's why he's treated poorly or whatever. That's interesting. Cause um, I just got done watching Bridgerton over the past couple of days, which is new on Netflix. And it has a mixed race uh, cast in a Regency setting and what they've done is Mad King George fell in love with an African woman and married her and now they're part of the aristocracy and um, the main character is part of the aristocracy and he's also black but what sets him apart is he was um, he is kind of autistic and he had a stutter as a young child and his father, his, his mother died when he was born and his father said, I don't want this thing, you know, cause he thought he was stupid. So that's kind of what sets the, one of the main characters apart. in uh, this one, even though you have a mixed race set in the Regency period, there's, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I mean, it's a great story. I was really entertained. <laughs> Uh, so that's how they did it. That's how they made him different. You know, they didn't have to stick him out as a black man as an, in an all white cast to do that. Right. Yeah. There's like in a weird way. Um, and I'm you know going to use our friend Michelle because she, she posted something on Twitter around the time that uh, around the time of Christmas that I thought was interesting. She said um, she had always, uh, She'd always, in, in a way, related to Rudolph, but she didn't quite understand it until she was an adult because Rudolph is different and he's treated poorly because he just has a red nose. That's it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. When I as an adult went back to watch Rudolph, I was like, no, there. <laughs> the, I mean, really, it, it was a, it made me feel bad as a human being to watch this. And I think Lydia was like three at the time and we never watched it again. I was like, nope, I can't subject her to this with, uh, you know, more sentience as an older child. Cause it, that was horrifying, you know? And I, I hate that anybody feels like that. I hate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, 
would you agree that Rudolph has a better ending? I don't know. No, I, I they're just, still assholes. No, because they're exploiting. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say, I was, I was gonna say like, his ability, and they don't give a shit. As soon as the weather clears, they're going to be like, fuck you, Rudolph, back of the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ru- Rudolph is only. Rudolph is only treated better when his useful usefulness is shown through his dis, his quote unquote disability. So there's yeah. that. And that's yeah, no, poor Rudolph. I have a question for you. What about a movie like Waterboy? A comedy where the main character is dis, is neurologically impaired as you put it yes he is yeah i mean again i i think he did a great job with the character because bobby duchet is not stupid he's he's not you know uh he's he was just southern and he was he had a southern mama you know (laughs) he had a southern mama he's good southern I mean, you know, the, that's part of the problem. I mean, I think he proved himself that he he was an intelligent, you know, person. And I, I felt like, you know, again, I, I can't speak for everybody out there. I can't. I can only speak for myself and from my own viewpoint on these things. And I try to be very broad and, you know, try and take in other people's opinions and how they feel about it. Because I don't think everybody out there who is autistic or disabled is going to feel the same way I do. It's just not going to happen. But I'd hope to bring delight to the table, you know, that we don't have to make it this divided and, you know, you must hire somebody like this to fill this role when they're not always going to be available or necessarily even be the best actor. You know, not when, when your job is storytelling, that's what you're there to do. You're there to tell a story, you know, and that is not my phone. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I, you know, for me as a, as a white man, uh, I have never once in my life ever thought that, I needed the story to have a white protagonist. I never thought that it needed to be a male unless it was like, it absolutely called for that. Um, and, and you know, the thing is, it's because we have plenty of that represented uh, throughout stories in history. White men are very well represented. Y'all definitely cornered the markets. <laughs> well, and I guess, I guess the, the reason I'm saying it the way that I'm saying it is I, I, I mean more in the context of, uh, um, when I watch a story that doesn't have my gender, skin color, age, I don't care. Um, I just want a good story. That's it. That's all I care about. Just having it just, just a good story. So when I'm, when I'm enjoying like something that, that doesn't have my representation regardless, and this isn't just me being like some fucking woke bitch, I don't care. <laughs> Um, I think that the best Spider-Man movie to this date is Into the Spider-Verse, but not because Miles Morales is the lead. No, it's because the story is better than any other fucking movie that's come out of Spider-Man. It just is a better story. Uh, there are hundreds of examples of that where I'm like, yeah, this story is fucking fantastic. And like, 
like we did it. We, we talked about it earlier. I'm not going to sit there and be like, yeah, the new Ghostbusters movie is great because I want to look like a woke bitch. No, it's not great. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> and, and none of us should be pretending that it is great. Um, and I always find it funny when that somehow becomes the argument. Uh, people literally being told that they were sexist <laughs> for not liking the Ghostbusters movie. Um, no, I didn't like it either. I mean, I'm, I, you're sexist if you're protesting it simply because it's female. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, that's when we get to the you're sexist, and you're not sexist if you don't if you just don't like it. That's that's stupid. But if you're simply protesting it because it happens to be an all female cast, that's that's racist or not racist. That's sexist. If you protest something because it happens to be an all black cast, that's racist. You know, I mean, don't don't do that. You can turn stories on their head and it's good to flip them around if it's going to give it a new viewpoint. I don't feel like Ghostbusters did that. No. Um, I, 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 I've, I've always felt like that uh, story is told based on talent and that's it. No other factor really matters. It's based on talent. And I, when I say talent, I mean the actors, the filmmakers, the director, everything. Um, well, Maya, how do you feel about your own personal representation in Hollywood? I mean, I don't let it bother me. I'm not bothered by any of it uh, for me, per se. You know? Um, because... From a from a transgender perspective, I think there definitely needs to be more representation. Yes, um, <clears throat> from an amputee perspective, I mean it's hard to tell a lot of those stories, and you know, they're not. They're they're. I don't know. I'm not too conflicted by it. I'm more bothered by lack of diversity when it comes to representation than I am physical representation. Um, but, you know, again, the whole transgender thing being a recent um, come to light aspect, you know, I never took much into much account. Um <clears throat> Like uh, when a role calls for a transgender woman, you know, I've never watched the show on Amazon Prime, but they had uh, Jeffrey Tambor playing a transgender male to female. Transparent, I believe was what the show Transparent, was. yeah, that's what it was called. Um, you know, I realize you have to have somebody who is a male for that because they're begin there's a beginning and they're going through the process so it wouldn't make as much sense depending on what the story calls for uh if you see somebody at the start of that journey you know and in the process of that journey you wouldn't want say somebody like laverne cox no because she's already very female <laughs> exactly 
you wouldn't want her to portray. But that's where she's got a benefit because she's got a twin brother who's also an actor that can play male roles. Oh, I should not know that. And Orange is the New Black and her flashbacks before her mm-hmm. brother played that role. Oh, that's awesome. Did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought they just got a a male actor that looked similar to her. (laughs) No, it's her twin brother. Uh, So. Linda Hamilton on us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I, I want to, I think, I think the whole transgender community is very underrepresented in media anyway, especially Hollywood. Uh, because there's a lot more of us out there than people realize. Oh, yeah. So I would like to see more representation in that regards, but it would also be very difficult uh, to... You, you couldn't get a large-name actor to portray somebody that's already been through that journey. I mean, you would have to get Like, okay, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I wouldn't want Scarlett Johansson to play a transgendered female, you know, from a male to female. I wouldn't want Scarlett Johansson for that. I would want somebody who's done it and is a female, you know, versus. So I have an off, an odd question for you then, because okay. I just had a curiosity. Uh, it's, it's a difficult question to answer for me personally, but yes. How How would you handle a movie that comes out or like a TV show about a, a male to female trans transition, but it starts at male and then goes to female. Well, like I said, you know, the case with Jeffrey Tambor and transparent, I don't have a problem with that because it has to show the male at the beginning. Um, if it's starting at the beginning of the journey. Now, if it's doing uh, flashbacks, and only focusing on the female aspect, then cast somebody different. Uh, but yeah, it, it that that's that's the thing. That's the problem with it. It's a very difficult way to tell a story. And and that, I, I think that's a lot for me. By the way, Maya, why I really enjoy sci-fi and fantasy and things like that because I really feel like you can cast fucking anybody in those roles. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Uh, look at Doctor Who. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Doctor Who had always been an old white guy. Uh, the, then it became a younger white guy. But Doctor Who can literally look like anybody, and the fucking companion could be literally fucking anybody. And, <laughs> and they have shown that in the past few years with Capaldi. Uh, they started showing that regeneration doesn't mean you come back as the same version of what you were before. They had... Uh, they had one character regenerate as a female. Uh, yeah. They had them regenerate as a different race and gender. So, you know, I love and that. One of the things that um, one of the uh, Gallifreyans that you're talking about uh, became Missy. Missy was one of the main oh, characters. Yeah, she was the one, of, one of the things that she said to... Um, Doctor Who at one point in the series was I remember you on Gallifrey as a little girl. And then I mean that blew some people's minds. They're like, What? 
Yeah, Hoenn's like, really, people? Really? We have to have this talk now? Right now? You know, we're, I thought we were all caught up, but apparently we're not, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, um, with the Scarlett Johansson thing, if she's the best actress, though, that, that yeah. the role, do you pick her or do you pick a trans actor who definitely does not fit the role? You definitely want the role fit, but how fit do you need it to be? That's the thing. She, turned down, role, she turned down a role playing a transgender oh, character. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a mob boss. It was a historical, um, a historical piece, I guess. Uh, but she did look like her, and you know, well, or him. Either way, you know, this person did go back and forth. Uh, but Scarlett Johansson was a close ringer, man. I was like, wow, whew, I see why you picked her based on looks alone. You know, <laughs> well, see, and, and she's got the acting ability. You know, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I wouldn't be upset by it, depending on accuracy. It, it all comes down to how accurate is your story and how believable is the story. And is the story told with honor? Uh, yeah. is, it, is it honoring the people that it's attempting to represent or is it dishonoring them? And as long as it's not dishonoring them, then I don't see a major issue. Would I like to see more transgender women in female roles, just specifically female roles? Yeah, absolutely. Would I like to see more stories about people going through their journey from one gender to their true gender? Yes, absolutely. Can you plan a story like that and tell it believably with a male actor playing a male to female or a female playing female to male? Not entirely, unless they're going through that themselves. Uh, you know, so you're going to have to suspend some disbelief in that regard. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, my, my favorite movie in the world is Fried Green Tomatoes. Love that movie. And Yeah, love that movie. And I watch it like at least once a year. Uh, it's one of the few movies I own on Amazon. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the two main characters in that book or movie, you can take away what you want from it. They never come out and say one way or the other. But, you know, I wonder how that would be done today. You know, would they would they change the story up and make it straight up? Say, look, yeah, these women were in love and they loved each other like two women can. They absolutely were. You know, because I mean, that's that's my takeaway. You know, I mean, they never came out and explicitly said it, but we knew. Oh, you know, yeah. I, you, you know, I love that movie. I love that movie. The story is just fabulous. The love between the two of them is beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. And I wonder what they would do to it today. You know, how would they tell that story differently today? 
Uh, that's one of those that doesn't need to be told differently. I think it summed it up beautifully when it was originally done. I think so as well. But you know, if they they did update it, they would change things. They always do. You know, it's something yeah. they tend to go for. And I'm, you know, I do wonder: would they change it up? Would they come straight out and say, "This is what it is," or show it? You know, because they never showed it. They never said it, but you knew. You know, and I I am curious. It's like, you know, how would how would we redo that today? Uh, would it come across as the same way? Would it tell the same story? Holy you know? shit. Um, sorry, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is pretty. If you're, if you're, about, to, if you're about to talk about what I what I just saw, then yeah, that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for anyone uh, questioning, we're recording this on the 6th, and at this exact moment, um, the uh, U.S. Capitol has been breached by all of the MAGA supporters and people like that, so we're just kind of... I was going to sit on it and kind of end the podcast here in a minute so that way we can talk about it. Oh, my God. But it's nuts, dude. Oh, my God. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and wrap up the podcast, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This has been a great discussion, and I wish we could continue it. And, you know, if you guys out there, you like it and want us to continue and talk further on this topic uh, or want to join in yourselves, you know, uh, yeah, if you have any, love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. If you've got less, especially personal experience, you want to share it with us, please do. We would love to further this conversation because, you know, the more we talk about it, the better, the more light we'll bring to the subject and it's better for everybody that way. So definitely share your thoughts with us if you can, or you want to. You can share them in the comments down below, or you can email us at all queued up podcast at gmail.com or contact us, you know, on one of the links down below on all the social medias. Uh, you'll see them down down there. Um, also, based on those links, um, we didn't discuss about what we were going to watch next week, if we're going to watch anything next week, other than the stand episode four. So keep an eye on our socials um, for if we do choose something just out of the blue, that's where you can know what we're going to talk about. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week, guys. Uh, again, check out stand episode four. And we're going to talk about it next week. Um, and... Uh, yeah, Maya hit up everything else. So, Maya, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name, Maya Dawn Fisher. That public, pro it's a profile. Profile is public. That was what I was trying to spit out there. I pulled a Greg. Holy shit. But if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, those are linked to my account. Uh, I'm on two other podcasts throughout the week. Uh, you can catch me on those live on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel on every other Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on a show called Figure Banging, where me and me and the uh, rest of the cast, we look at, you know, Transformers, action figures, things like that, and do live reviews, and we joke around and, you know, kid humor. It's fun. Uh, Toys! Yeah, yeah, I got to get my toy fix in somehow, right? Uh, because of people that have been listening to this a long time, I'm a big collector. <laughs> um, and as for the other show, you can catch me on Friday nights on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that is the Nerd Life Syndicate, where it's your, 
uh, how do we put it? Uh, it's your weekly rampage on all the nerdy news and the the nerdy news cycle, all things nerd adjacent, collectibles and collectors themselves, and all ideas and the opinions that you hold most dear. <laughs> okay, you are yeah. definitely a busy girl, Maya. I stay busy. I stay busy, and that that doesn't doesn't even have room for my hobbies or anything like that. Huh. I stay busy. I but, genuinely, yeah. I genuinely feel like if you were to stream uh you painting figures and talking to chat about the figures, you'd probably get a little bit of an audience. I really do. I used, I used to do that. Oh, okay. I used to do that on Twitch and I I did. I just fell out of doing it because of um one uh, I didn't feel that Twitch was working for me at the time. Yeah, I got you. Well, I think I think uh, two two reasons, and this is probably best discussion off off podcast. But um, I when I when I watch those streams or I see those streams, they always have like a really close up camera, like right above where the toy is or the figurine. Yeah, yeah. And I. I know that you couldn't technically do that, so I think that was part oh, of it. No, I can. I, that's what I did. Oh, I thought you. Okay, well, all right. Well, never mind then. I'll show. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had, I, I have an arm, and I have my camera mounted on the arm, and I could do a top-down angle right on top of it, and that's what I was doing. Ah, uh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> oh. Sorry to derail that exit there, folks. But uh, Betty, where can people find you? <laughs> Sitting on my couch eating candies and drinking sweet tea. <laughs> um, right. no. uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bright Betty, and you can find me on Facebook uh, at Betty Badger Ogletree. It is also a public Facebook account. So, what about you, Greg? Uh, you can follow me on all socials under Chub Rock Geek. Um, that's that's pretty much it on that on that front. I don't do any other podcasts. I know that uh, Betty and I are going to start doing solo reviews for the website for the YouTube. I'm sorry for the YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to start with uh, the two shows I watched on Apple TV, and you said uh, Bridgeton for you, Betty. Yeah, I might do that. It was good. Um, but yeah, we uh, we all kind of watch different things and want to give them our thoughts and this also opens up to review things that maybe we wouldn't have in the past like things that aren't on streaming services so but i'm leaving it open and my you can do whenever the hell you want i don't care <laughs> you're not gonna find the time <laughs> you know you don't have to pee as much as you do you uh -oh. can take you know three or four pee ba breaks and Ram them into one session on a show you really, really enjoy. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Watch episode uh, four of The Stand, and we will see you next week. Bye. What? Just bye? Oh, God. He's like lollipops. <laughs> it's never going to let me down. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> Take care, everybody.